Hello and welcome back to the latest episode on the way, representing clubs like Peel, Stockport County, Macclesfield and the Isle of Man national team. Currently, he's not playing, he's not only playing, he's also managing at St George's. Johnny Myers, it's a pleasure to have you on, mate. How's it going? Yeah, going well. Yeah, thanks for having me. No worries, Johnny. So let's get into this, like I do with all of my guests. Rewind the clock back a bit. Where does Johnny Myers' football and journey start? So, you know, funnily enough, it started when I was about eight years old, so I wasn't really playing, and a friend of mine, Stephen Rundle, was playing for St. George's at the time, so, you know, had a sleepover, staying at his house, went along with him to training, you know, asked, got asked to join in by Dave Power, who was, you know, a very influential figure in the early part of my career. So I joined in and then obviously, you know, must have impressed, signed sort of, you know, the next couple of weeks, and that's how I kind of got into so we're playing for St. George's at that time. So playing for St. George's all the way up until I then got signed for Stockport County. You know, the reason why we, we kind of had trials of Stockport was me, Chris and Steedo. We stayed back a year in the Centre of Excellence um, to help the numbers out in the in the year below. And as kind of a thank you, Lee Dixon got us a, a trial at Stockport County. Um, so obviously went over there for a week. Um, on the Tuesday, I got signed. So um, went on the Monday. Um, impressed in the first two days and got offered a contract and um, you know two years scholarship at that point had some wonderful experiences there obviously played at Anfield played in the FA Youth Cup you know played against some some really good players and um, like Neil Meller for Liverpool and George Santos for Sheffield United yeah. people like that unfortunately things didn't work out there and then when I was 18 I moved to Macclesfield yeah. so a guy called Dave Moss was manager there he used to play for Man City um, so kind of got signed there for six months on a on a, a six month contract. Did really well there. Yeah. So I was playing against a guy called George Abbey, who was on a two year deal, played for Nigeria. So obviously went back home at that point, waiting for a call. And once they've had a chat, unfortunately you know, he got sacked then. So it was kind of disappointing on that front. And one regret maybe I would have had was I didn't really go back out and start trying to find clubs and and things like that. You know, well, that, not... that actually leads me on to a thing from a very good friend of yours and a good, like a very, very good footballer. Chris Bass Jr. sent me a message and he, he basically asks that question. He says, do you have any regrets about not trying to stay in the pro, great, pro game longer than you did? Yeah, so, you know, some, it's something that I'm over now and I was over fairly quickly. I say it took a few years to kind of, kind of realise, but at the time, you know, I was, I was, fit i was playing over here and i was doing really well kind of like you know i come back and i was you know one island played a year first year back and kind of like enjoyed that sort of side of it so i don't regret that side but i had offers to go to new zealand australia uh, st albans places like that but i think once you don't go back within a certain time frame yeah. you kind of get stuck not stuck but you're kind of just happy where you are and life was going well you know football was good i was playing in the island team going away you know with, with them at a young age so it's something that if you if you look back at all the time and regret it and um, you know you'll, you'll never move forward but at the time probably when i was up to about 21 22 i regretted going back but then after that you know i've, I've done a fair amount in my career where i can you know i could be happy with where i'm at yeah and you you you're, as long as you're confident in that and you know you, as you say, you've not got that regret anymore. You've been there, you've given it a go, and I think you know within your rights, you, you've given that your best effort, yeah. you've come back, and you've been comfortable back on the Isle of Man. So when you come back to the Isle of Man, what happens? Yeah, so just just one thing to add. So obviously, I don't know if people know about ITV Digital, you know, back in the old days, but um, around the time I left Macclesfield was when ITV Digital went bust. So lots of clubs relied on that TV money that they gave to, to buy players like, say, me and other, other youngsters coming through. So I think, like, the turnover was normally, like, 1,500 apprentices that yeah. would get let go across the leagues. And I think it was, like, 3,000 yeah. that year. So there wasn't enough money around really. And that's, you know, probably one of the reasons why IA didn't go back because it was going to be really difficult to fight against them 3,000. Yeah. But like, yeah, come on, but coming back to the Isle obviously, you know, I had to get a, a real job as such. But football, you know, you're coming straight back into St. George's and you're playing with all the players I was playing with at the time. And, you know, we, you could see we were starting to do something yeah. and it was really enjoyable to, to help them sort of start that journey. You know, you like to see Chris Bass as you, you Sean Quays, Julian Minghams, the exceptional footballers. 
And then you had like your Craig Luntz and, you know, people like that who, who were like Paul Davis even was there, yeah. uh, Steve Clark, Bass Senior was playing. So it was dead easy just to come straight back in to football. And it wasn't really something that, you know, I didn't have like a period out the game. Like I love football, like, you know, like more than most people, you know, if I'm not playing, I'm watching, I'm coaching, I'm talking about it. And so it was kind of a natural transition just to cut me up playing. Yeah. So you come back into that St. George's side and at the time they, they weren't the big winners at the time where they, you know, the success that St. George's have had and we'll go on to that. It's what for you brings that in? Like how, how do you enjoy playing with them lads? Is it a group mentality sort of to get that, to get to that point? Is that where it begins? Yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head. So you have to have people, all, everyone's got to be on the same page. Yeah. And um, it's difficult now because not everyone is and society's changed a bit, but we had, we had 16 to 20 lads who were very, very good footballers and who were determined and they were, you know, they were aggressive in what they wanted to do. Um, and once you've got that common goal and everyone goes together, then it's just enjoyable and you can see it a mile away. Like I can, I, I seen it when, when, when Corinthians had a, a two year period where they all trained like mad and you could see the momentum, but you've got to continue to do it all the time. You've got to be doing it two or three times a week. And that's what we were doing. We were training extra than anyone else. We were running harder than anyone else. And you could just see it was a matter of time before we started taking over. Yeah. And it's like you mentioned that Corinthians team and you mentioned how hard you were training. You know, there's a lot of people say, oh, they were there. They were getting things. You were going out. I think it was at Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. You were training, weren't you? You were training three times a week at that point. You know, you do the football stuff two days a week. But the fitness element of that and... I think that was a big key part of St. George's as well. For Manx football, I think it's a big cliche to say everyone, fit footballers win games, don't they? Fit football teams win games. And yous were out doing the steps. You were, you know, running along the prom, fireman's runs. Did that, do you think that also helped us in, in like getting there as well? You know, being fitter than everyone else. You know, you had the talent there. But you just yeah. had to work for that fitness part as well. Yeah. Well, like, you know, one one of the managers that, that helped me massively, Kevin Manning. So his one of his famous sayings was, you give me eight athletes and I'll win your games of football. But that should be the base layer. Like the fitness element should be a base layer for any player. You know, I didn't like fitness, but I'd done all the training sessions and I got to a, fi a fitness for my level where I could do 90 minutes and my talent would take over. You know, you, but... The best thing about doing fitness together as a group is you're all doing the same thing and you're all in it together. And that's the biggest part. I think now football's changed. So it's more football fitness, yeah. not natural, pure fitness and then talent. It's all, you know, you're doing like lots of running with the ball and stuff like that. Like I know. Sprints and things like that. Yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not going for a 10K run. Yeah, it's plyometric stuff yeah. and it's stuff like that. And it's not, you know, and that, that sort of stuff we used to do at, on our own time as well. And that was, you know, Bassini was a real sort of old school manager in that sense. And I get that the game's moved on and you're not going to get sort of managers doing that all the time, but you have to have a little bit of it in there. Otherwise, like you say, the, the biggest thing I always say about fitness is when you start to get unfit, when you've got to do a run, you always sigh and you always think, oh, I've got to go and run there. Whereas when you're fit, you don't even think about it and you, you just do it off the cuff because, yeah. you know, it just comes natural. Yeah. And that's it. So... You get to that point where you're fit, you're enjoying your time at St. George's. What happens next? So obviously, at, when we started winning trophies, so we, we had a, a right ding-dong with Laxey because they won the Grand Slam I was going to say, that's what... Four, I think. Was it 2005? 2004, 2005, yeah. yeah. So so they had a good side and they were difficult to beat and we you know we had really good games against them. From that point on, we then sort of took over and, you know, other players like Kim McNulty came back and Al Harrison and Jack and Connor Doyle, they were coming in, fresh impetus. And that, that made us go on a massive run. And I think, I think it was, you know, it got to like 2007, 2008, and I kind of just felt like I needed a bit of a change. Yeah. Not, no, no, no malice against anyone. Just, you know, just needed a change. You, you wanted to challenge yourself in a different yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, and just, just kind of see what was out there. So... I went to St. Mary's and St. Mary's was a real draw at the time because they had some really good players and playing at the ball and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, like it didn't work out for one reason or another, but, you know, I still enjoyed the year there. But it was then, the season after, I think, when Rick Holder asked me to come down and have a look at Peel. So went down there and the setup's brilliant down there. You and, know. and, you know, you've got a name like Rick as well. Yeah. You know, he's been there, done it in the professional game. 
that's a massive law in itself, it is, isn't it? It is, because if you can't listen to someone that's done it, like who can you listen to? So yeah, so went down there and, you know, Rick offered, you know, it was it was best scenario. You know, they had the facilities there and they had the players there that had played with the national team. And that was a no-brainer, really. So went there, done really, really well there. So it, it kind of changed position for me. So I kind of was playing a bit further forward at Peel. Um, and I think I scored, I think it was 91 games in two and a half, in three years and 51 goals, I think. Yeah. So it was a decent return and I ended up winning the third Island play of the year there, which is obviously, you know, nice. But Peel as a club, they're the best club in the island. Let, let's not, you know, beat around the bush. They are the best club in the island. It's a real fan club, you know. Uh, after games, you go into the town and everyone's talking about the game. The team sheets on the on a Friday night in the pubs, you know. So it's it's a real community and it's you know it's it's a really good team to play for. And then obviously after that, after three years, I decided you know what to go back to St George's. They well, just to... I'll I'll keep you on the Peel thing for a second because yeah. Bella Daniel Bell is now Peel manager. He played with him in the Ireland squad. You obviously played with him at Peel as well. He come he sent me a message and he just wants to know. Do you sort of wish you'd stayed at Peel for a few more seasons? So, yes and no. So the answer is yes. I wish I'd I wish I'd spend more time at Peel. Whether or not it was after the time I was there or or not, that's a different question. Because I, I did want to go back. I did miss playing with with my mates that I grew up with, and then you know, and I could really sense that like I wanted to win the Grand Slam. Now, the Grand Slam at the time had only been done by you know, two or three teams yeah. and it was something that, you know, we all were striving for. So every season started, it was, we're going to aim to win the Grand Slam. It was not, let's win the league, see what happens. We were aiming to win the Grand Slam. And obviously we won stuff appeal and that was great, but I just felt that, you know, if I wanted to win the Grand Slam, I wanted to go back and do it with, with these guys. And luckily enough, first season, we, we done the Grand Slam. That's so the answer is yes, I would have, you know, I would like to have played there or gone back and played there a few more years because it's a great club and great people. The setup there, like, you know, especially now, if, if if you had that chance to go back there now, you know, you've got the Tommy Klukas Hall, the Kelvin Dawson Hub upstairs. The people behind the club are all fantastic as well. I know, like, Colin Moore has more stats than anyone on the Isle of Man about football. Yeah. Like, you know, I think he'd rival Eric Clegg and, and Hattie for, for just the amount of single stats he has. He like it's I, I agree with you, it's a very, very well ran club. Yeah. So I I do get that. But do you think that law would ever be back to go back there even just to like one last season sort of thing? Yeah, I mean from a from a playing standpoint probably not, because I'm trying to transition from playing full time or playing majority time into management. Will it be a man draw as a manager? Yeah, at some point it would be, depending on you know the situation that St George will be in or not in at, at the time. But you know they, I know their young teams that are coming through, yeah, like under the Cliffy Duns and Spud Canes. There, the teams that they're coming through now are are the next I, kind I mean, of big things. Again, people coaching them there, yeah, you know, and that's and that's what I Cliffy, mean. Cliffy Dunn, legend amongst football and he, you know yeah. he, he played for a number of years he's he's a great footballer so yeah. things like that, that and you always find that you'll always get a catchment where there's a group of exceptional players you had it with peel with Toff kane lacy megson you had it with sick george's with me chris quay callum pecker judge and then you had it with like your jack mcveys and that sort of team yeah. and then since then you probably haven't you've probably had two or three say at corinthians or two or three at peel or two or three at laxi but you're, you're just waiting for that one team that will now come across and just dominate yeah. like the youth teams all the way through and i can see that maybe that might be peel coming up in the next sort of three Five or four years, years. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly so you know so so that's something that you know people have spoke to me about and whether i'd be interested further down the line and like you know you can never say never so no. it's it you know why wouldn't you want to exactly and, it, and it's a club that you're very fond of you know yeah. you've got a history with you're passionate about it's it's manx football at the end of the day you know people do have two or three clubs that they are like closer to than others it happens that's manx football so when you go back to st george's you win that first grand slam it's massive isn't it you know laxia done it a couple of years earlier you've now gone back you've done it i think jims have done it as well previously with senior in the squad yeah you know when you go back there, how many Grand Slams does it end up being for you? So so when when I went back and we won the first one, and the first one, the way we won it, when, you know, I think I scored to make it three all in the 92nd minute against Peel, and then we scored 97th minute, Callum scored to the winner. You know, it was amazing. It's kind of, 
I know he only just went back that year, but you kind of see the last six years worth of work um, and that's what you're aiming for. And I know someone famously said on the radio, like, you know, I think Bass Senior said, oh yeah, we're back at the Gasworks, looking forward to next year. And that was his mantra. That was the way he, he was he, like. He was always forward. He was always for the next one. Yeah. And and I kind of, I, I agreed and disagreed with him because, you know, even when now, like you've got to celebrate your wins because you never know when it's going to be your last. But obviously from there, I think we won three Grand Slams in the end, which obviously is a, is a record. But it was just relentless. Everything was relentless from training, match days, new players coming to the squad. We recruited well. People wanted to come and play for us. How, yeah, look at some of the play. Like you mentioned that year you had at St. Mary's. Frank ended up going from St. Mary's, didn't he? Up to St. George's, yeah. you know. Who else have we had in that? We had loads of people. Like Liam Cowan was yeah. was an exceptional footballer. He was he, for the five years he was at Geordie's, He was he was consistently the best player, you know. And in the team of players yeah. that he had, uh, Liam Doyle joined. You had Connor Doyle was playing for a season or two, and Joey Morland came in from as a youngster. Sam Kane came in as a youngster. I think you had Gary Quirk there. At Gary Quirk was yeah. there. Steeder was there. Terry Regal was there for a little bit. Terry, that that's a player, isn't it? Like you know, Terry was one of them players. I think he, he has had more clubs than Tiger Woods. Terry, yeah. but he was one. He'd always get goals. It doesn't matter where where who he was playing for. He'd always find the net. He's a very very clever footballer. So I know when he was younger, he had that pace and that pace. I've never seen anything like it. In other man but he, he's got a very very good brain yeah. um football wise so he he's been training with us at the minute um he played one game and come off with a sore hamstring but we've got five aside on a thursday and you can just see even when he's like dropping deep and playing passes forward he's got a football brain like you, you know yeah he's got vision and he's got technique so i think he's going to be good for us between now and the end of the season in a bit of a different role um but yeah he he was he was fantastic terry yeah you know and we, had, we had other players that came in and out that have done really well you know the guys like Joel Ibanez Jay Skelton Maxwell they give us a massive lift because and you look where they've gone they, yeah. they, them boys have gone to America now haven't they and yeah and FC Alleman's best player Jacob Crook you know yeah. he's unbelievable attitude works really hard I think, and, I think I like I obviously do a bit for FC Alleman as you know right match reports and stuff but I think he's had like the last three man of the matches or something down there yeah, as well. And, you know, there's players down there that are big players and, and they've point, picked him out as their man of the he's, match. He's brilliant, right? And I'll just give you a quick insight to him. So it was like maybe last year or year before and he was training with us in pre-season um, and, he, and he asked if I could help him with his end product. So I said, yeah, come down early, quarter, quarter to six and I'll do some, do some stuff with you. And I think in three or four weeks, we must have crossed 500 balls, just crossing, just yeah. crossing different types. And then his end product was amazing. And he just took him to a new level. And it just shows you the attitude of him because even when he's in FC Alleman, if they haven't got a game, he'll come and play for Geordie's. And, you know, if they haven't got a game or they haven't got training, he'll come and train for Geordie's just to help us out and just be there. You know what I mean? And and it's a really good attitude to have. And then, you know, watching it come to fruition on a a Sunday last week, you know, that first half, you know, he's he's becoming a really, really good player. It wouldn't surprise me if he got picked up by a little higher league in in the next Like like that. In the next few months. But that's the aim of FC Alleman, isn't it, at the end of the day, you know, to give the players the opportunity to shine on a bigger stage than you get on the Isle of Man. And I get that. I do. I do get that. So... We'll roll it back now. St. George's, you've won your Grand Slams. Where does it start going? I wouldn't say downhill. Where does it start leveling off for you? So a lot a lot of it was down. So, I mean, priorities change right? yeah. when you get older. So Chris has got had a couple of children. Sean's had some children, older people. And then it's kind of people can maybe only train once a week and, you know, other people maybe start getting lured to go elsewhere. And then it's difficult to get the motivation because the guys like Chris and Sean, they're the ones that drive people to train them, you know, and the Franks. And then you Frank, Frank, what a different challenge. And then Jack, what a different, and, you know, people start then leaving to go and pursue other Frank things, football, which, 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 is, which happens. And, you know, I never begrudge anyone leaving. No. You know, I'd rather just turn up the first day of preseason and whoever wants to play and wants to stay are there, they're there. If they want to go, all the best to them. And um, so I think... Also, the standard of other people came up. So, you know, the, the, it was always kind of the top. It was Geordie's and then a little gap and then the three. Yeah. And I think the, they closed that gap. You know, Corinthians did it. Peel did it. I think Air uh, was up yeah. a little bit. Russian uh, won the league one of one of the years, I think. So I think that that sort of, you know, and, it, you know, age is, is a massive part. And when you're doing something for so long 
you know, injuries take place and, you know, is it the right thing? And remember, Chris stepped away, Chris Bass Sr. stepped away and then he come back again a year later. So I think it's a, it's, it's kind of like a multiple issues that kind of just all lead into the natural kind of decline. What I am glad with, it wasn't just a real drop curve, off the cliff. Yeah. Like, like it is now. Yeah. And um, that was the worry at the time. I mean, you know, let, let's not dress it up. We, we sacrificed lots of the youth structure at the time for the for, for, the, for, for, the, for the for the trophies and the success not on purpose you know we, we ended up losing like a massive load of like kids to Onken and we kind of didn't sort of backfill them yeah that's changing now we've got a good youth system in in place now with chris johnny fee and all them and they've got that in place now yeah which is going to come to fruition in the next few years. But like I, like I said, it was just a steady decline and we, we were competitive and we were still fighting for trophies and, and cups and stuff like that. So so that's kind of how... how it yeah, it's, it's, it's a mixture of life for people that were playing and it's it's just that natural thing in Manx football, isn't it? It's not... St. George's are still one of the, the greatest clubs in Manx football. You know, modern era, they are the, the greatest club in, in the last sort of 30 years. Yeah. If you look at Manx football... I, well, maybe not last 30, maybe last 20 years at least, you know, since then, then success as Grand Slams, you've done it, you've won everything. St. George's is still there and and you've done, I'll, I'll say it myself, Johnny, you've done an exceptional job to keep that club going because I know behind the scenes at that club, there's not many people anymore. You know, again, it's it's one of them. Your committee was massive. Again, that's naturally declined. Your, the work you're doing to keep that club going with with a select few others, like you'll name them, yep. you know, is it's fantastic. You, you're struggling each week to get eleven out. Somehow you're doing it. Like I I watch I've watched two games. I think the average age of your bench when I've watched the two games that I've watched is easily forty forty five. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Tristan Ringham's on there. His brothers on there. You know, Julian's starting for you. So you've got three brothers playing for you there, and then you've got other people that just come in and help out. You know, a couple of younger lads as well that. Have picked up. They said, "I'm not getting a game here," and they've yep. gone to your club. I think Joe Gartland is a perfect example of that for yep. me. Joe, well, Joe, Joe, Joe Cook. He was at Old Boys, and then he he wasn't really getting the game time he felt he deserved. So he's gone and played for years now, and he was playing combi. He's gone play. He plays for your first team every week, and I think in the cup game against Old Boys, which I watched, he had a very good game. But yeah. it's it's a testament to you to you yourself and that small number of people that you'll probably mention in seconds that that club's still going. Yeah, and let's right. It's 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 been difficult. Two last two years have been difficult. Um, you know, it's helped a lot this year with Chris coming back from SCL Amanda injury. He's taken a lot of the strain with training yeah. and stuff like that. That we reduced training. Like I always say to these youngsters, though, I'm like, right, yeah, I know we're scratching for eleven, and you know, the games are difficult. But look who you're learning from. Look around and look who you're learning from. You got Kieran McNulty, Peck. Quay, Bassey, me, other players, you know, you're learning from them every time. And yeah. If someone said to me when I was that age, right, go go and play there with all them great players like the Alangis and all them, I'd, I'd love it because you're thinking, what am I learning there? And it's it's not that they're going to play with Geordies for 20 years. No. It might be a stepping stone and, and we're happy with that right, at the situation we're in. And, you know, and yeah, the, the committee was strong. People left or have passed away and it's coming. it's kind of a collective now and it's a lot better now. And the guys that are like, you know, 40 years old and, and, and plus, like you can only ask them to do so much, yeah. you know, and they're all great. You know, they'll train once a week and, and they'll put their hand up to play. But, you know, it's it's also not fair on, on the other players because you've got to like say Morgan Naylor and Ash Higginbottom and Birchie and people like that. Like they don't want to be swimming. They don't want to be floating in a, in a team. They want to be challenging with stuff. So it's difficult to try and keep them motivated. And that's that's probably the hardest thing because, you know, stopping them going to play in a, in a team where they're going to thrive. Like like Josh Kane, fair play to him. He made a tough decision. He stayed with us, you know, he gave us a lot last year and a lot at the start of the preseason. And then he went to Corinthians, but he's shining over there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it just shows you that, you know, it's 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 a difficult choice for a youngster about what to do. And, and that's, that's something that people and have to remember. Like, I know with Josh as well, Josh, like it's quite easy at Manx football to be a shit house when you want to move clubs and say, Oh fuck, I'm not going there and then just go. Yeah. I know for a fact Josh didn't do that with you, did he? He spoke to you and, and told you exactly that's what he wanted to do and he wanted to try and push himself, didn't he? Yeah. And that's what I always said to him. I always said to him, Listen, like I said earlier, if you don't want to be here, right, it's there's no there's no issue, we're not gonna fall out. But you tell me, I said, Don't 
get the you know the, the whispers telling tales and they said come to me and tell me you're leaving and i'll shake your hand i said and that's what they've done yeah. so the people that have left have come to me nathan cardi prime example i spoke to him at length and then he had a few weeks came to me and said listen i, I think i'll be better playing down for feelings with people i know wished him well he's doing great yeah. you know another another good lad and and that's what you're trying it's not you're not just a manager you know you're not you're trying to teach these young kids like discipline and and manners and you know and all that sort of stuff um, the right way to go about the right things. way to go about stuff yeah because there is a right way Let, let's you know you, you it's foot it's man's football it's yeah. football in general right you're all going to be friends and what i've found is last year you end up falling out with people because or at the time last year because they say they're coming to training or playing and that they don't turn up whereas this year I'm kind of a bit more relaxed about it. Like yep. if they don't turn up, they don't turn up, you know, and and that's kind of where I'm at. But like at the stage of my managerial career, it's at the start. So I'll accept it. Yeah. Whereas I won't accept it going forward. You'll grow into that. Though, and it's not going to happen going forward. Like, you know, it, it's common knowledge that, you know, if we're not in a position at the start of the season where I want us to be, then our conversations will need to be had because I'm going to step away from probably playing all the time. Yep. I still want to play because I still feel I can offer something. But you but, don't but, want that to be your priority. But I can't, you want the managing I, I can't coach and manage five players at training. I can't work on no. the the stuff I want to work on and the way I, the philosophy I've got on how I want to play on my teams to play. I can't do that on a Saturday with 11 or 10 and I can't do it with five at training. No. And, and that's, that's stopping my progression. And that's something that I'll never accept. Even being loyal to a club, you've still got you've still got to have you've got to look after yourself yeah, at the end of the day you, if, you've got, if you've got a goal to reach and yours is clearly you like i think i can see from this conversation we've been here 20 minutes i can see from this conversation already you want to go into management and you want that success you had as a player as a manager going forward i think that's fair to say isn't it yeah that's that's exactly what what it is and it's the transition period that is difficult more difficult because you know if i if i had if i had 30 players then you know we'd be in a very good position, and I'd be, I'd, you know, I'd probably be further ahead with my managerial managerial yeah. career than I am with the playing side. And the hardest decision a footballer has to make is when to call time, yeah. right? And that is the most difficult com like, conversation with the family and yourself that you have to have. And I only do that when I've when I know that what I'm going into is worth it. Yeah. So at the minute, I'm happy by playing and managing and picking bits up on the way until I've got something that I can say, right, I'm not going to play now and I can focus fully on that management side. Yeah, and that's fair enough. So that's your playing days at club level, Johnny, and, and your management. I can't not have you here and talk about your days playing for the Isle of Man. You know, you won everything that you could at that level. What was that like, you know, to get with... I know you were playing at St. George's with a great bunch of lads, but to have that extra bit of talent around you as well, what was that like? So that that the national side, right? So I know now it's kind of like defunct. So they've only got the Island Games, and it's a bit. It's a shame. I mean, like I know we'll talk about SCL man in a bit, and I'm an advocate for it. But the national team to me and the guys at the time was a massive thing. Like going away for weeks at a time in these tournaments, you make you feel like a professional. And the the best teams I've played in have been in that island team two or three of the teams i've played in you know i think are a lot stronger than any team that i've seen over here yeah locally and and fc Alaman. that's obviously my opinion and the people can have different opinions but i think i think a lot of people will have different opinions on yeah. that but i i think looking at that it's i can see where you're coming from with that as well like that that's my opinion i can see that as well and, and it's hard it's hard to it's hard to compare generational teams like it's difficult when we were growing up people would say you know the john palmers the the, the langies and all that team were better than our team and, yeah. and vice versa it's, it's a different game though it's isn't it the game the game yeah, the yeah. game moves on in generations yeah. and oh yeah we from, played from your generation to theirs football's become a lot more tactical there's a lot more behind the scenes where you were more of a, a fitness and talent yeah they, they're they're more it's a lot more behind the scenes work now yeah. like fo football's definitely moved on but you know the, some of, some of the games we played, even even towards the end of the, of my national career, down the bowl, you know some of the best games I played in with the, the Leeds threes, the Leeds game, you know the final we lost, the final we won, you know so and that was only kind of six six or seven years ago. Do you know what I mean? But like I I love my time there. You know Kev Manning was was a brilliant manager, he was a manager for a long long time, and he 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 coached us through me Bassey. 
Quay, everyone through. And, you know, when he put us in when we were 15, and me and Julian played, made our debut when we were 15. And that's kind of, it was unheard of at the time, really. Yeah. And Bass, Bass, he was away at the time, but 2002. Um, so it was brilliant. And, and at that time, you bring players in to train and then drop them back out again. But the biggest thing I thought was, it was the same kind of group of players. Yeah. There was a group of 18 to 20 players and we were all in that team for 10 years. Like there, were, there wasn't many people who floated in and out. And luckily enough for me, I was mostly in the starting 11, but also you had a manager that kept the same team pretty consistently. Yeah. So when we were going away on these trips, it felt like you were a club side because, you know, there was like people from St. John's, Peel, Russian, and, and it just felt like you play with them all the time. Yeah. Whereas obviously... Now with the national team, you know, they get together, say, once every it's every like, couple of months yeah, or whatever. It's, it's, it's not, but that, again, goes back to what you said, doesn't it? You had them opportunities where tournaments were available. Yeah. Funding was there. Things were there to get your way in play games. Friendlies weren't as costly as they are now and things like that. It just lead, This leads into very like a very nice question from Hattie, actually, who sent me a nice message. He said, he's been fortunate to watch you enough enough to watch you play for the island team on a number of occasions but what was your most memorable yeah i read that one it's, it's difficult really surely like walking out with the england kit on yeah like... so obviously i captained i captained the, the the england side against slovakia and that was that was unbelievable the first game where we won yeah was unbelievable i think you know i scored in the final of that of the first nls cup final that was good. I mean, there's lots of them. I, I do think the winning, winning the the last NLS, because obviously you know the jersey one where we're at home, you know, I'm contrary to to opinion. Like I didn't make a mistake on the first one, but I did give the penalty away. So you know, after having a really good game, you know, so and I, and I don't take them things to heart. And they don't, you know, I've, I've always been good at bouncing back and not letting that stuff affect yeah. me. But obviously, beating Jersey again and then winning the the NLS again. That was kind of a bittersweet moment because it we kind of knew it was like the last chance we probably have to win that. Yeah, um, and that, that competition, you know, it's it's a massive competition. I don't know if they if it exists now. Does I don't it? think I it does. I don't it. think it does. But, and yeah, because the, the, they had the county, the, you know, the county one. Yeah, and I know they applied for it this year. They put it out again, and yeah, the Alaman FA said yes, we'll go into it. Jersey and Guernsey said no. Right, and the the costs come back on it. And it was just too expensive for them to enter. Yeah. You know, now I think it was, I think, I think a rough figure I was told, it's about £5,000 plus per game. Really? And I think that's ridiculous this day and age, isn't it? I can understand why they're not entering that yeah. for, for the financial reasons. But, but like when, so when you, just to give you an idea, so when, when you actually won that cup and you got to represent England, you know, you, you're a professional, you've got dietitians, masses, you've got, coaches goalkeeper coaches you get full England training kit like you do represent England amateurs every game you get to keep the whole kit you wear another shirt you know I, I've luckily enough to I think I played I think I got I didn't get the record actually I think I played 12 times I think for them and so I've got lots of shirts with you know different family members have got up and yeah. um, so it really really is a good experience and you are a pro you know, for for ten days, you're a professional. You're away. You're eating like a pro. You're training like a pro. You're dressed like a pro. You know, yeah. it's it's a really really good experience, and it's a shame that the, the guys won't have a chance to do that again. I get FCL man's a different a different avenue, but this was something that was like if you ask any of the players that were involved, they would say it's it's an experience that it's not to be missed. There's, there's a lot chance. of people like growing up. If you grow liking football, playing football from a young age. The one thing, and I don't think anyone over here, yes, you might be Irish, you might, it's to put a national team jersey on, isn't it? You know, the Manx one's good, but to put that England one on is something special. Yeah. There's there's only a very few ever that have walked the planet that have put that jersey on to represent the English FA anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's England amateurs, England professionals, women, whatever. That shirt is like a sacred shirt. Yeah. And if you, if, you, if you ask all the players that I played with in that national side, we we still call it the national side. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people call it the representative side, but we still call it the national side. We did at the time, put on the national shirt, uh, and we and we still do now. And that's that's something that it, you know you can't really take that away from the guys because you know we were playing and in our eyes for the national team. Yeah, and that probably leads on to a question that I've had from a couple of people. Okay, 
So Craig Cowan, you know, from the kit man for FC Alaman, who's at St. Mary's for a while, Craig. And yep. Bella, it's it's from Bella as well, Danny Bell. It's It leads into a teaser because we'll go into your seven-a-side team later on. But who is the best player you've ever played with on the Alaman? Chris Bass. 100%, just yeah. that simple. 100%, you know, four-round player of the years. People that say wouldn't have played against him all the time or played against him, you know, every season, but they won't see him day in, day out. Uh, you got to take everything into consideration: attitude, desire, skill, fitness, speed. You know, he 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 literally single-handedly won us, you know, a, a league one season, and then he won our play of the year, the fourth one, when he was like, you know, mid mid thirties, and he, he's just brilliant to play with. And and you could see even when he was playing for FC Man, you know, the goal he scored in the oh yeah, and um, the winner. Yeah, he's definitely the the best. I mean, th- th- there are a few players who who you know would run him slightly close, but I mean, for for me, it's a no brainer. And uh, and you know what? Best part of Craig's one of the nicest lads you'll ever meet as well. Yeah, he's he's humble. He's he's one of the nicest fellas. You know, he's a mate of mine, mate of yours. You can have a chat with him, and he'll talk to you. And even when he's at even when he was at that level and at his peak, like I think it's fair to say, you know, his injuries have, have knocked him down a little bit now. He's still great. Yeah. But he's he's not where he was. Naturally he's getting older, he's getting injured. But even when he was at that peak, he'd always have time for people and he'd be chatting about football. You know, you'd see him in Strand Street, he'd talk about it. Just a great guy as well, isn't he? So, yeah, he's, he's he's spot on. And like I said, people won't see the other side when we're you know we're training three times a week. And but and don't forget, he's he's done it now for twenty three years. Yeah. You know, longevity also get also plays plays a part. That's a part. You know, you could say someone like Ash Webster, who's like unbelievable technically wise, but you 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 know you only play against him for three three or four seasons. Um, so there's lots of players like that who would you know who are really really good In players, but. I mean, he's he's kind of, I think, streets ahead of, yeah. of anyone that I would say. No, that's fair enough. So, they're your playing days, Johnny. Okay, it's been a great recap of them. What we'll move on to now is is the good and bad about Mike's football. And I asked all my guests this question. I'll start with the good. What do you, at the moment, think the best thing about Mike's football is? I think the, the best thing currently is that it's a lot more competitive, right? Yeah. So, you know, one year, Peel win it, Erwin the next year. And I think that top four, maybe three or four, are quite close together. Yeah. Obviously, when when there was Georgia dominating, people would always say, "You're not sick of winning stuff," and you know, and we'd win leagues by say sixteen points sometimes, and you just don't see that anymore. No. I also think, you know, because of FC Alaman and that they're taking away the majority of the best players, lots of these young players or the players who are kind of like were on always always on the fringes, they've kind of stepped up now a bit yeah and i think that's brought the quality up because you might get a thing where let's use corinthians for example you know they've got the simos with whitley doyles so they've then gone so that means then there's big shoes to fill yeah and the likes of say josh ridens has improved and um all the guys like that i mean with danny gerard improved now he's an fcl man ronan improved now he's an fcl man so i think like there's a lot of that where it's given the chance of other players to actually step up, and it, and it it, ha- it happened with us when we kind of lost the first the first wave of people to FC Alaman. Other players stepped up to the plate, so I think from from a progression point of view of the players currently in Mansfield, but I think that's that's a good thing. Yeah, and and it is, and I think it gives them people the opportunity now to shine a little bit. And as you say, you look at you've named some of them players there that have got into that FC Alaman squad and are, are training with them. I know they've got a development squad as well with some of the younger lads as well that are about. You don't even need that development squad. though. You, you named Jacob before, for example. Charlie Higgins is another one from Ramsey. You know, these young lads have got the talent and they're being allowed to challenge themselves at a level above local football now. It's taken them out of that game where they're quite comfortable and it is a bit of a challenge for them now. And I think you can see naturally progression with the younger lads in that squad. Yeah. And I think and I think one of the one of the things with that though is like you can you can try and progress them too quickly. Yeah. And you know it, it's it's very easy from the outside looking in to have a you know to have an opinion on F Salaman and how they run that and I'm not doing that. It's just that you know, do you want to see seventeen eighteen year olds have a couple of seasons in the local game and you know and actually you know go into the FC Alaman squad with that basis of men's football having two years yeah. in there? Obviously, he's done that with some and some others have been thrown straight in and done really well. So it's it's hard to try and get that balance. 
but I, my style is more trying to let them, you know, let them develop and, and turn into really good players locally and then, and then push them in there. Yeah. But it's one of the, I think, I think a good example of that's someone like Tom Creer. Yeah. Tom, Tom is a very, he's, he's, I, I don't think you'll mind me saying this. I don't think FC Alamama, but he's, he's a bit poor player for them at the moment. He, he gets a few weeks in Manx football and then he'll get a run out. And I think that that kind of balance is, is quite good for some of them as well because they're still getting the local football and they're still playing each week, but they're getting snippets of what they could have as well. Yeah. And I, they're not too run down about that. I think that's... that's but but I, think, I think the thing is though, right, if they get asked to play, they're going to say yes. Yeah. Right? If I was playing to a level where I can play and they turn around and say, do you want to play for SL Man? I would say yes, no matter what my local club said. Well, you know, yeah. I would go and play. It's such a great opportunity, but sometimes you have to be a bit reserved and be like, you know, they're good. They're never going to say no. You know, they're never going to say no to play for for FC Alamant. Um, it's an opportunity, isn't it's it? It's a great opportunity that they're, they're never going to turn down. No. So on the flip side, then at the moment, what do you think the worst thing about Manx football is? The numbers are not great. You know. I think I had a chat about with someone this morning about it. So I think there was like nine or ten teams now that only have one team. Yeah. You know, five or six years ago, that, wasn't, that wasn't the case. Wasn't a thing. You know, I'm not blaming the FA and what they're doing for numbers. It's just something that needs to be addressed. I think the 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 state of the facilities and pitches has deteriorated. You know, five or six years ago everything was nice and shiny and it was all you know i think they did a thing where everyone has to get the grassroots thing and they have to do that yeah and you had to get i think it, yeah. there was a lot of grant money available at the time yeah, yeah, yeah. god rest his soul mike atherton at the time was doing a lot with the clubs he was like their pitch advisor he was certified by the fa he'd been away and he'd go around and he'd say oh you need this type of grass seed for this soil and things like that yeah and i think there was a lot of money available and I guess, yeah and i guess I guess covid hit Money, yeah. money's tight, you know. St George's round, round the grounds and stuff like that, and you know, not up to scratch of where I'd want to see uh, our pitch. You know, we've got rabbit holes and like all sorts oh, of stuff. Oh, it's mad, isn't um, it? But you know, after COVID, you know, you've got two, two or three years in recovery. It's probably going to take longer than that. But that's one thing. And then I think just, I mean, the overall standard. You know, other than that top three, there's a massive gap. Yeah. Like or top three, four, there's a massive gap, and it's how you close that. And I can't see that being done anytime soon. You know, this thing about having 15-year-olds can't play, but when you turn 16, you can play. That opens up a whole hundreds of kids yeah. that could play and they can play in England. So, well, you know, that's you, you said yourself on. earlier, didn't you? It's 15. You made your debut for the Ironman men's team. Yeah. And I, I get safeguarding is in place. And I have this, I've had, it's a bug of mine as well, to be honest with you. I think I, safeguarding is a great thing. But there's got to be some sort of leeway with it. Whereas if it's a parental exemption form, maybe, and if the parents consent to the players playing for that team, yeah, at a certain age, you're allowed to then do that. And as long as you've got the consent from the parents and the lads maybe get changed after the men or something like that, you know, th there's ways and means you can do it. I think it's just safeguarding is a very, very yeah, it's difficult. subject. It's difficult. I know, you know, the, the, the FA know they can't do it yeah. right so people can we can have a solutions and opinions of it but you know people say oh yeah well such and such was 15 and he made his debut for or 14 for barcelona and stuff like that and we followed english fa so why can't we do that but yeah there's legislation in place you just can't do it so i know it's not an option but it, it would it, be nice it, it's a it's a, it's one of them boxes ideal world isn't it yeah you know and you I can't mean? you just you can't see where the numbers are coming from though no like you know i, I haven't got the numbers of the like the kids that are coming through. I think there's about, off the top of my head, last time I heard, 4,000, 4,500 kids registered to play football on the other map. Right. But that's from under sixes to under 16s. Yeah. But even then, you know, you look at, say, the under 16 teams, and yeah. teams have got three teams, and that's 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 the difficult bit or the under 14 it'd be nice to see some sort of diverse diversification yeah, from, but... even if, like, your seat like say a club's got three teams even if that because historically they're abc aren't they yeah. do you know what i mean say one of them clubs engages with a club that hasn't got a junior setup and says you can take our c team at this level would you be interested it'd be nice to see the fa sort of working with clubs to see if they could even push that but i get then 
it might not be in their catchment area or parents yeah, find Yeah, but difficult. then if you've got you've got three teams, you know, 36 players there. So when they all turn 16, not Can't all of them, not all them will play for that club. Some of them will go out to other clubs, but then some of them will just be like, well, no, I'm not bothered anymore. I yeah. just won't play because they have they can't see a pathway or their friends. They can't, you know, and then they'll just they'll just stop. So th- there's a fair amount of work being done, I know, in the FA, and you know, you've got to trust that they're gonna they're gonna find the right outcome. Fingers crossed, mate. So this probably leads on to like a third question that I don't normally do in this section, but I think it's come in. It's a it's a good question. It's come from Lee Gale, right? And Gaylor, obviously from Peel, he's one of the top goal scorers at the minute. And, you know, you've played with Gaylor as well. Gaylor says, if you could change one thing about Manx football, that's either past or present, what would it be? What would I change? Hmm. I I would I would actually look at the three leagues. Like, I really think it's a good idea. You know, you end up playing, you end up playing, like especially when we were dominating, you, you know, we'd be, be beating teams sixteen nil and twelve one and twenty four nil. I remember the twenty four nil up at yeah. Royals just because I keep taking the piss out of Cherry for it every year. Yeah, and I think if you definitely tailor that down to say you know like three eights or something like that, then I think I think you get a lot more competition. Whether or not that would mean that you know players would would all converge around the the eight teams, I don't know, but I just think. Just having that more competitiveness each week, you know, like imagine, you know, like the old days in Scotland when they played each other four times, times. yeah, stuff like that. I mean, because they're they're the games you want to play. You know, you want to play Peel four times. You want to play your Laxies, your Russians away. Yeah. You know, you want to have them games. So well, I, I think something like that. On that as well, it's playing teams that you know your squad is equal to. So. It might be for you, for example, in the heyday, Geordie's playing Laxey, Peel, Russian three times a season. But for clubs these days, you know, I look at clubs like, I think Dafka's a perfect example of this. They're in Combi 2. They've got one team and I I get it. They've got one team because they want to bring the junior set up through so they can have two teams in a couple of years. And it's great that they've kept the senior club going to to make that happen. But the other day, I think they played a game 13-7. Yeah. And they've been scoring double figures most weeks or at least high scoring games I think they could go and then that three league system would be ideal for a club like yeah. that where they could go and then play someone like maybe your Onkens your old boys your Castle Towns two or three times and really challenge themselves to push on in the future so that, looking forward I think that would be yeah and and, and something you know a gripe of mine so like I, I understand when teams like, teams have won clubs have one team yeah they should be a first team, right? The, the the idea of a combination is a feeder team into the, you know, it's a reserve team yeah. for the first team. And and I get, you know, they want to stay alive and they then they don't, they think they'll get smashed and stuff like that. And that three, like three league system would be perfect. Also, you know, there's combination teams there that are better than some first teams. Yeah. You know, you don't want them to have to disperse to go and get game time elsewhere. So logistically, it'll be a bit of a, a nightmare. A, a nightmare. But like, if clubs just all said, right, anyone can play on our pitch at any time, right? And then we all, you know, so you, you could work it out. Yeah. You could definitely work oh, yeah. it out. And it is, it's there, isn't it? I think, like someone said to me the other day as well, I think you could, it's set in stone at the moment that kickoffs are half two or two o'clock when the clocks go back. You could even stack a kickoff times. Yep. Do you know, totally agree. Friday nights of St. John's want to give that up every week. You know, the bowl on a Sunday. Like, people, if you offered people in advance these change to times, they would accept it because they play on a Tuesday, they play on a Monday, Wednesdays, Friday nights, Saturdays. You know, they, they, in the summer, they do it all the time. Yeah. So, so I think as long as you give people enough notice, they want to do it. Yeah. Um, so it'd be, it'd be nice to, to look at. It, and, and again, that's that's something you, you'd want to change personally going forward. So, that's the good, the bad of Manx football. We'll end a podcast like I do with everyone, Johnny. You select seven. Now, I know this team is going to be silly good already. You know the rules. You've been through it with me before. It's three players that are current, still playing on the Isle of Man. Yeah. Three, re- three players that no longer play. Yeah. The goalkeeper can be from any era, so he can still be playing or he's not playing. And also your manager. But I think I know who that's going to be. I'm not going to lie. So, Johnny, we'll start with the goalkeeper. So, the goalkeeper, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have played with lots of very, very good goalkeepers. 
you know, in national team and in, and in club level. But the one that stood, stood out for me, and I was only there three years, was Calvin Dawson. Another one, attitude, just, just the man himself, but also some of the saves he made, you know, absolutely breathtaking. And I know we used to do shooting training, me and him after, you know, training nearly, you know, twice a week, every yeah. week, you know, he'd stay behind, I'd stay behind for an hour after, but he was brilliant. And I, even when I grew up and I was watching the Ireland team, you know, I think he played for one of the other teams that came over, one of the pro teams in the final. Yeah. And he was exceptional in there. So, so yeah, definitely Kelvin. And he was, he's, he was always a great talker when he was commanding, you know, he, he talk people, his defense through a game, he, you know, he, he, he commanded his box. What yeah. a, what a great player he was. So I'll go on now to your first current player. So first current player, I'll put Chris Bass in there. So, you know, best player I've played with. He's probably first name on my team sheet anytime. So he would definitely be in that that seven. And also, like, we remember the old days, we used to have seven aside at St. John's. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Full pitch. Yeah. And he was a monster on there. He oh, was an absolute. I can imagine that would give him a bit yeah. more space to run around. That was when he was, he was 15, I was 15, and we were playing in that. And he just, he just ran the show. He ran the show. Absolutely. Um, so from that, I think Bassey speaks for himself, you know, it's it's one of them. Who's your first retired player outfield? So this is the hardest player I've played against. Yeah. Okay. So very difficult player to play against. Very good player. Very great goal scorer. Probably one of the greatest goal scorers that's been, but it's Peter Language. You know, he could jump, he could head, he could finish. He was physical, you know, and he was he was brilliant. I was lucky enough to play with him for the island team for for ten years, but he, yeah, he, he's he's probably the one of the best strikers I've played. Absolute with. monster, Langy was yeah. back in the day as well. You know, again though, monster on the pitch, nicest guy you'll meet in the street. Yeah, you know, fella. have a conversation with Langy. He's a fucking great guy. So, who is your next current player, Johnny? So my next current player is Lee Gale. So, luckily enough to play with Lee at Peel and watch him grow as a youngster. And he's he's fantastic, and um, fit as a fiddle. Technically wise, probably one of the best finishers. Like you don't realize how good a finisher he is. Yeah, he was an unbelievable finisher. You know, and he's just he's just an all around nice guy. But you know, it's a shame that he's not playing for a man because I think he'd be thriving in that team myself, and he'd give them a lot, a lot, a lot more direction. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd say Lee Gale. That's fair enough. And Gale again, he's I think he's joint top goal scorer at the moment. Or he might even be gone ahead because I don't think Danny Orham scored at weekend. I think Gaylord did. Yeah. So I think he's now outright top goal scorer. Well, and, and he's won two Island Player of the Years as uh, well. Let's not forget that. Yeah. And he's yeah. he's leading the the paper, Alman Papers yeah, Player of the Year this year. And he's always in that team of the year. So consistently. You and know, he, he can turn his. Do you know what the annoying thing is with Gaylord? He can turn his hand to anything. Yeah. Like literally any sport. Yeah. He's one of them people, isn't he? You know, he. he, he Mountain biking, for example. He can't beat me in Pruel or Snooker, though. Can't he? Like, putting that on record, are you? Yeah. Right. So who's your next retired player, Johnny? Right. So this is this is a bit controversial because he did retire and then he's back playing a little bit now. So I know who you're going to say. I'll let you if you let me in. So Nick Hurt. Right. Nick, Nick Hurt was fantastic. Or like, I, I haven't seen a player like Nick like in a long time. Um, composure, getting on the ball, you know, just can keep a ball away from someone yeah. and do a little turn or a little trick. You know, you don't really see that anymore or I haven't seen anyone close to him in a while. I'm still playing now. I know he's just come back and he's, you know, he's, he started to play a manager again, but like he was always, he always popped up in massive games. Yeah. Big games, big game played, score all the time, especially for the Ireland team. And I think for you as well, like no one hurt he and, and what he's doing now as well, like like you discussed earlier, your ambitions to go from player to manager, he's got that opportunity that you were discussing. Yeah. That you like, you know, where you've got people training every week and he, he gets the players there, doesn't he? And and he's making that transition now into being a very, very good manager where he's, you know, I do know he's named himself in a couple of starting lineups this season as yeah. well. But I played against him this year, he, you know, he's he's still he's he's still got that brain and, and that's a lot that's a reason why a lot of the good players are still playing now. Yeah. Like me, Chris, he like people like that. It's cause we it's cause you've got a football brain, so you know, your physicality doesn't mean a great deal at the level you're playing at if you know what they're gonna do before they do. Yeah. So um so that's what he had. He you know, he's got vision and he, he knows where to be how to jump early, you know, all these little things, little nuances that 
that you pick up along the way and that's what gives him an edge that massive cliche of a footballing brain again isn't it you yeah. know he's just got that football it's a dying brain. breed to be honest you know you look FIFA's at, killing it yeah you look at the last one I think you know that's come through is Jack McVeigh who's got who's got that vision and that kind of football brain fortunate enough to go to school with Jack as well yeah. you know before because he, he, he went to Middlesbrough and come back didn't he yeah you know he played for their their youth setup for a while and even back in the school day Jack already had that I yeah. think he's he picked that up at a very young age you know I'm talking 14 15 St Indian's tennis courts Jack was that good then he was always that player people wanted to play with so yeah, but Hurty, what a great selection for that. So who's your next current player? This is your final current player. Right. So I'm not, I'm not doing any formation here. So this no, no, is going. So it's Kieran McNulty. So it was it was I got two down there, so it was touch and go between him and Sean Quay. Both exceptional players. But I just think Kieran, you know, from when he came to Geordie's, you know, he scored four hundred and three Premier League goals since two thousand and seven. So Mad, that's just it? astronomical, that sort of stuff. And especially if we're playing a seven aside, he, he's he's a he's dynamite in five aside, seven asides, skill, pace, finishing, attitude. You know, and he, he's someone that you'd have to have in there. You just have to have him in any. And and got. you know what? A lot of people would think four hundred. He must have some great service. He's a strong. Like you look at Pekka, you don't think he's a big lad. You know, he's going to hold you off. Pekka's quite a slight lad. He's strong, he's powerful, he's patient. He is, for Manx football, he is your perfect striker for Manx yeah. football. But he, even when he was at gyms, he was banging in 30, 40 yeah. a year. As yeah. a, you know, and he was the, he was kind of like the, the standout, man, wasn't yeah. he? He was doing it on his... Whereas yeah. then he came to us and he broke the record and then he was getting 39, 40, you know, consistently yeah. every season. He was winning player of the year at Geordie's, he won Ireland player of the year. You know, just an all-around, like, very, very good footballer. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with you there, mate. So, final retired player. So, continue with the theme. So, he he is he has been retired and he is playing a little bit of comedy, but Danny Lace from Peel. So, I just think Danny Lace is, is one of the most consistent footballers Peel's record that's, that's ever been in the Alamant. When I first came into the Allen team in 2002, he was left back. Very difficult to get past. Very good going forward. Great engine. Even when he was getting older, he was winning a player of the matches in the cup finals yeah. against Geordie's. Always he, got stuck in, doesn't always he? Always got stuck in. When I went to Peel, you know, his attitude, like he was always at training, always front of the running, and he's a proper Peel legend. Yeah. And I just think, you know, in that in that team that I said that was the national side, that was, I think, the best team the Allens had. You know, he was he was in that team. Um, and I just think, you know, he, he's one of the best seven that I've played with. That's, and he, I think he is Peel's record appearance holder, isn't he? You know, yeah. he's got that now. He's It just shows the longevity of him as well. To do that at that level is still fantastic. So that's your playing side. I think I know what you're going to tell me when I ask you this. Who manages it? So I am going to pick Chris Bassin, yeah? Yeah. Uh, but Kev Manning, you know, was very close. And, you know, Two different styles of manager, some similarities, but you know, Kev from a national side, he was he was like you know, he was very consistent in his team selection, and he he really liked having the the same team in week in week out, or when we played, and that was really good having that trust in him, and he I learned a lot from him, but like Bass Senior would get the best out of that team, yeah. and that team would work for him, and I think that if he got a chance to coach that team, there wouldn't be many teams that you could pick that could be that no I don't think he could and especially if you're playing seven aside there yeah I, you know we mentioned the St John's playing it on a full pitch I think you'd have to play on a full pitch against them even today with them that team you'd struggle you'd, you'd massively struggle even not even playing in a sports hall I don't think you'd even bother yeah um, and, and there's, there's obviously honourable mentions which I'll have to say otherwise yeah. I'll get caught out so obviously Jack was an honourable mention Liam Doyle when the time I played with him was 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 unbelievable, and then obviously Carl Morrissey, you know, the if he if he'd have carried on playing for another three or four years after he stopped to the level he was at, then you know he, he'd have been he'd have been pushing Pecker. But, but yeah, I'm happy with that selection. That's that's a I mean it's a great side. So I'm going to finish this on one last question that I had here, and it's from someone I mentioned earlier, Tristan Ringham, and I think it's a great question to end on. To be honest, it says you've been known to score the odd belter. 
what's the fame your favorite ever goal you scored in Manx football? Yeah, so there's 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 three that just stand out straight away to pick one. So well, three of them against Max really against he, he mentions Max Mac twice in that. So there's, so there's one the the one from kickoff you know was was touch and go, but the one before that. So I think I think I kind of like got a someone threw it to me and I give him the shoulder and I was on the edge of the, the D center circle yeah. on my side, a little bit wind assisted, but you know, half volley from there and then crossbarring in against St. Mary's that we won two nil. And that was on St. Mary's were, you know, really, really good side. And um, so I think that's, that's my most favorite one. Second would be the one where I, um, where I score from the halfway line. And then the third one, which not many people know only like the St. George's guys, well, we played Moran when I first come back in the cup, and Moran were like second in the league at the time, and we were one nil up, I think, in the last minute. So Bassey took the corner, and it was just me in the box, seven defenders, and he just pinged it over to the back post, and I just headed it top corner, one v seven, to win two nil. So that that comes a close second, but but yeah, the one against Max and the halfway line. Do you know what the two he mentioned was the halfway line volley and the Brown header. Oh, did he? Right, yeah. Okay. So they were the I'm two glad that he said, said that. Then. They they were the ones he sent to me. So they were it. Right, Johnny. It's been class, mate. You know, great insight. Great insight to you, your footballing journey, and your hopeful progression into that. Your thoughts on Manx football. So all that's left for me to say is thanks for your time, Johnny. Cheers for everything, mate, and uh, good luck with the rest of the season. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. Cheers, Enjoy. Cheers.